sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. The term Christian nationalism has more recently been commonly referred to as white Christian nationalism. Our guest today, Philip Gorski, is professor of sociology and religious studies at Yale University, co-author of a recent book, The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy. Thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring, Professor Gorski. My pleasure. So I think we need to begin not making assumptions that our audience understands, you know, what Christian nationalism is and why it's now being referred to as white Christian nationalism. Why don't we start there? Well, one way, there are different ways of defining Christian nationalism. One of the ways we define it in our book is as a certain story about American history. We call it a deep story because it's rooted pretty deeply in many Americans' minds and because it has very deep roots in our shared history. And the story goes something like this. Uh, America was founded as a Christian nation. The founders were Orthodox Christians. The founding documents are based on biblical principles. Therefore, America has been blessed with power and prosperity and charged to use that power and prosperity to spread freedom and religion around the world. But the presence of non-whites, non-Christians, non-native-born people in the United States today increasingly threatens that mission and those blessings. And so we have to take our country back. That's a very succinct, and so hence why it's associated with white Christian religion, really. Yes. So let me now turn away from the history and towards the statistics. So we use a statistical measure of Christian nationalism. It's it's a scale, so it allows us to distinguish from people who embrace Christian nationalism really strongly and those who embrace it more weakly. Um, And one of the really striking things in in our analysis, there are plenty of African-Americans who embrace some version of Christian nationalism. But if you look at their attitudes on a whole range of different political measures, um, including whether they're being discriminated against, Christian nationalism has no effect. So people who reject Christian nationalism completely, people who embrace it strongly, they still believe strongly that blacks are likely to face a lot of discrimination in the coming years. Whereas with uh, white respondents, it looks like a very steep hill. So people who reject white Christian nationalism don't think that whites are going to face much discrimination in the coming years. And the more you embrace white Christian nationalism, the more under threat you feel. Um, and we find the same relationship on a whole host of other things, attitudes about policing, attitudes about gun control, attitudes towards um, the welfare state, attitudes towards foreign policy, and on and on and on. So Christian nationalism turns out, as we say, to be a very strong predictor of a lot of, of, a lot of political attitudes, but importantly, only for white people. And so it, it's in this way that you can see Uh, in the past called Christian nationalism, but this really means it's white Christian nationalism. It's only the version of Christian nationalism embraced by 
by white people in the United States. And I'd like to observe for our listeners at this point that, you know, we, we're living in a culture war climate where it's easy to try to dismiss uh, authors and, you know, people as advocates on one side or another of, of a culture war divide. But listening to you, I'm, I'm quite struck by the fact that you're really a scholar first, that you and your colleagues are, are looking at the data, are analyzing, um, you know, and not so much participant in a culture war advocacy, but really uh, doing scholarly research that helps us understand really the nature of what, what we're dealing with in our society. I mean, that's what a sociologist does, right? Right. We certainly have our values and, and our commitments, but I, I think that it really is fair to say that we came to this analysis via our scholarship more more than anything else. You know, for my part, I've been working on the relationship between religion and nationalism pretty much ever since I was in graduate school, which by now is, is a very long time ago. And it was really that early training that kind of opened my eyes um, to the role that Christian nationalism and white Christian nationalism are playing today in our politics. Well, you know, in the subtitle of your book, you say that white Christian nationalism and the threat to American democracy. So that's really where I want to go. Um, why do you see white Christian nationalism as a threat to American democracy? I think it's because uh, many conservative white Christians do see themselves as under threat, do really believe that their country is being taken away from them, really do believe, in fact, and they say this in surveys, that they face more discrimination in the United States than any other group, be that Muslims or atheists or Jews or African-American uh, or whomever. And so they have this sense that they're under siege, and this makes them look for a strong man protector. Um, so that's part of the, the appeal of somebody like Trump and many other politicians who've now styled themselves after Trump. But it's also what's behind uh, many of the campaigns to uh, change who can vote, to change how the votes are counted, to change how the votes are certified. It really is um, a way of shoring up the, the power of what is now uh, a minority against what is increasingly a majority in uh, the United States. So that really is, I think, the nub of it is, you know, if democracy is majority rule and you and your in-group are now in the minority, well, maybe you start to have second thoughts about democracy. And that's, I think, is exactly what's happened. Well, I want to take a minute and just challenge that presumption that somehow, you know, white Christians are being the subject of discrimination more than others. Now, I come at this as a discrimination attorney. So I'm not a scholar of the data. I'm a consumer of the data. Uh, you know, I, I frequently review, for example, the data on discrimination filings with the EEOC on this radio show. I frequently will do interviews on some of the, the hot button topics where there are uh, you know, discrimination against Christian views or Christians. And in my legal work, I represent people of all faiths. And so, at least from my sort of ad hoc view, race discrimination, you know, the, the big ticket item right now in religious discrimination is against Muslims. Uh, that since 9-11 has been the explosive growth of the charges filed with uh, 
you know, the federal civil rights agencies. Um, there has always been a certain amount of hostility towards conservative Christian values, which as a Christian, I associate as an essential necessity of the gospel itself that it's going to generate opposition. So I don't, I don't find that unusual or, or problematic terribly. But I'm wondering from a scholarly standpoint, are there other sort of indices or measures of, uh, assessing, you know, how much reality and how much distortion there is in this narrative that, uh, somehow Christianity and Christians are, are really under attack and a threat here in our society? Well, I certainly, um, can only second your conclusion that these claims of being discriminated against or being the most discriminated against group in the United States are really wildly, wildly overblown. I've never seen any evidence that would really support that. I think that, um, you know, another sense of the, this idea of the deep story is a deep story is a story that feels true, whether it's true or not. And I think this idea that Christians are discriminated against feels true. And the reason it feels true to many people is in part because um, a certain kind of conservative Christianity um, is doesn't really define our public culture uh, to the degree that it did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, because the United States has become a much more diverse and somewhat, uh, somewhat less religious country um, during those decades. Um, and so I think it's really, what's really going on is there's, there's a sense of loss of status or honor or, or privilege and, and that's getting uh, interpreted as actual legal discrimination. Well, and I, I wonder if the trend of what we call the rise of the nuns, people who check the box nun as their religious affiliation, if, if that contributes to kind of the perception of of Christianity under siege, that we're somehow losing. Absolutely, it does. And I think in part that's because um, evangelicalism and Pentecostalism in particular have always defined their success in terms of growth, almost as if they were running a business instead of a church. And that may seem obvious um, in the American context, but there are lots of other ways to think about what successful Christianity would look like. A successful Christianity could be modeling uh, the kingdom, so to speak, or, you know, modeling the culture instead of, um, you know, trying to conquer the kingdom or control the, the culture. And so I, I think this is a moment, I know this is happening when, um, you know, faithful American Christians probably do need to sort of rethink their, you know, their mission in uh, contemporary culture a little bit and maybe rethink in those terms of of modeling and exemplifying you know a certain possibility of of our lives better. well you you say that very graciously i i address it a little more um obnoxiously perhaps in my preaching because i i discuss the contrast for example between the sermon on the mount and the uh, political uh, focus of the church. And I say, for example, uh, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, not those who hunger and thirst after political power. <laughs> and and I don't see in the, you know, in the political uh, efforts of the church, the desire to be the last who will be the first or the meek who shall inherit the earth. 
Um, and I don't know how Blessed Are the Peacemakers fits in with our obsession with the gun culture. So uh, I think that there is very much room, as you say, to rethink what success looks like in, in the Christian endeavor. Uh, and of course, I think by definition, uh, the role of the church is always to call the society to a higher moral and spiritual standard, never to, uh, you know, the society is never going to conform to, you know, what should be the, the highest standards of the church. Couldn't agree more. And I think this is a moment where instead of worrying about losing control of the culture, more folks should be worrying about whether the culture has gotten control of them. That is that, uh, you know, Christianity, the line between you know, Christianity and culture has, I think, uh, become very blurry uh, if it hasn't been erased altogether. So that certain things like, um, you know, a certain kind of macho or a certain kind of hawkish foreign policy or, you know, obsession with guns or the accumulation of wealth um, have been redefined as uh, core to Christianity when that's certainly not my understanding uh, that much, I must say. That does not have much to do with uh, welcome the stranger, love your neighbor, don't throw stones, uh, give your coat, um, and so on. Uh, you know, those kind of core uh, teachings of Jesus that, that you were pointing towards in reference to the attitudes. Well, my mom, who was a brilliant writer, used to say that plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. And you made a statement a moment ago that I'm definitely going to borrow with or without attribution. Problem is not whether the culture's, uh, instead of trying to control the culture, you said it should be more concerned with whether the culture has gotten control of them. And uh, so if you guys heard some typing in the background, that was me borrowing that. Uh, we're out of time. Our guest today, Professor Philip Gorski at Yale University, sociologist. His book, The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy. Really enjoyed this discussion. Professor Gorski, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring. Enjoy my pleasure. Thank you. As we close, as always, folks, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.